listening to Doing Law Differently, a podcast that explores how leaders in law are thinking outside the box and challenging the status quo. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as we discover how the world's most progressive law firms and law companies are doing law differently. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Doing Law Differently. I'm Lucy Dickens and joining me today all the way from Washington, US, is Michelle Bomberger, the founder and CEO, managing attorney of Equinox Business Law Group. Michelle describes herself as a business person first and a lawyer second. So the founding vision of Equinox, being that of a true partnership between business owner and its lawyer, is probably not that surprising. Michelle says that a business lawyer's role should be to guide an organization in its strategic and day-to-day decision-making. But she found that very few businesses use their lawyers in this way because they're concerned about cost and complexity involving lawyers. So Equinox was established to overcome those barriers and to encourage their clients to call. They do this by becoming an extension of their client's management team at a fixed monthly cost. This unique partnership requires lawyers to understand the business's goals at balancing risk and reward. And importantly, it also requires them to understand that that risk-reward balance is so much broader than just the legal issues. It also involves personal, emotional and financial dimensions. We're starting to see a shift where law firms are thinking about themselves as businesses in the true sense of the word. They're considering a range of things like their corporate brand image, marketing, pricing methods and many more, as opposed to the traditional method of exchanging time for money and selling based on personal brand or profile. So I'm really keen to talk to Michelle about her approach to the practice of law, particularly in relation to this broad view of providing business solutions and not just legal advice. So Michelle, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Now, I wanted to start with your business name, Equinox, because I think it's really interesting. And I will admit I did have to Google what it meant. (laughs) But tell us, how is Equinox a metaphor for the way that you do business? Sure. When we were looking at branding and naming the company. Obviously, I didn't want to be the Bomberger Law Firm because it doesn't (laughs) say much about what we do. Um, And we actually started out as small business legal services, which is very much what we do. However, we felt that was fairly limiting. Companies didn't necessarily consider themselves small business or want to be called out as such. Mm. And so the name shifted. And as we were brainstorming, actually, one of my employees came up with uh, Equinox. And she said more that she liked the form of it, the Q and the X. And, you know, it's got these very interesting characters. But as we looked it up as well, we found that it is that tipping point between darkness mm. as the seasons shift. And it's a balancing point as well. And so this idea of balancing business and law and providing that perspective of not only the law, which is what people expect from us, but the business. And as you mentioned early on, the business owner is looking at things from an opportunity or a challenge that they have encountered, not just a legal transaction. And so how can we help them balance those two things? I think it's a really interesting name and I like the branding and the messaging. And you see that reflected all through your website. So I'll include the link for people to go and check it out. Now you describe yourself as a business person first and a lawyer or an attorney second. On your website, you also say that people think of you as a law firm, but you think of your firm as a business that happens to provide legal services. And I think this is so interesting as we start to see this shift that I mentioned before towards law firms operating as businesses in the true sense. So can you describe the difference as you see it? And why do you feel this way? I think some of this comes from just the traditional way law firms operate, at least in the US. And that is a client comes in, the law firm 
has a problem to solve. They go hunt it down. They solve it. They build a client. The client gets the bill and pays it. And that's just very traditionally how it works. And I think in some areas that works well. With smaller companies, that's intimidating. They don't always know what they're getting. So the value of what they're receiving is maybe questionable and they know they're paying a whole lot of money for it. And so there's always this tension around, well, can I figure this out myself or do I need to call? So it's not this proactive planning event and thinking about how do I leverage the legal expertise to grow my business. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about our interactions with our clients, a lot of it is reflective of what I expect as a business owner. And as a business owner, I'm looking at responsiveness, I'm looking at transparency, I'm looking at value and deliverables. And so that's a lot of the backdrop of what we've built into the core values of our company. So when we're building our team and bringing on new attorneys and staff folks to our team, a lot of what is important is their experience in working with business owners and their ability to understand the business problems. So that kind of gets reflected throughout what we do. Within our, own, within our own firm, we've taken the kind of billable hour construct off the table. Obviously, we track hours because we need to know where our effectiveness is and what our profitability is. But it really is around, are we spending our time on the right things? And so the way that we're measuring our productivity and our profitability is around what is each person's role in the firm and what should they be doing? What is their quote best use? And then shifting resources to make sure that we are maximizing the attorneys to be able to serve clients and the administrative folks to support the attorneys and to serve clients, but in different ways. So can you give me an example of the kinds of things that you measure and track to be able to allocate those resources? So uh, one of the key things that we use is something called cost of labor which because we use uh, fixed fee pricing, wherever we can, we use fixed fee pricing, we need to understand how much labor can be applied to that particular fixed fee. So each project has an allocated number of hours and our pricing should be based on what we think that project's going to take. So cost of labor is, a, is an important one, especially for our general counsel clients, which is a, an ongoing fixed fee relationship that is really as though these small companies have a general counsel at their, at their beck and call. So because it's a six-month contract, we can look at cost of labor not on a month-by-month -month or project-by-project, project, but over that long term. So that's one. The second is uh, utilization. And utilization is a tool that is commonly used in consulting. Accounting firms use it. And really, it's for any given individual, what is the expected time spent on what's typically billable, but I would say client-facing activities versus non-client-facing activities. And there's always this tension around, well, I have to do training and I have to do timekeeping and I have to do meetings and I have to do CLEs. So what is that right balance of on an average week or on an average month, how much time is realistic for you to be really focused on client work? And where, is, where are the activities that really can be done by somebody else to help you be higher utilized? Because that's really how profitability occurs within professional services firms. We were having a chat just before we hit record about these things and particularly about project management and how to get lawyers thinking in the kinds of ways you've just described in terms of allocation of resources and treating their matters as projects to be managed as opposed to time to be recorded or however else they might think of it. How do you get your staff on board with this mindset? That's a good question. I think it can be challenging, especially when folks come from a history of being in a traditional firm. 
because there is so much around how many billable hours. I think a part of it for us is, strange as it might seem, focusing not on the number of hours, but on actually limiting hours. So the expectation is, you know, 40 or 45 hour work week. I mean, it's not, Mm -hmm. yes, there are some weeks where a client matter shifts that, or you had other obligations that shift that, but really saying within this limited time, how do you maximize the use that makes sense within your week? And every, yeah. everybody's week is a little different. I think the other piece is really being clear about what their role is. So we have some folks in the firm who spend part of their time on marketing, part of their time on going to events, or part of their time on building templates. So if that's a part of their job, then that needs to be reflected in what the numbers are, and they need to understand really clearly what that is. And then I would say the third thing is, Our year-end goals, quarterly goals and year-end goals are focused around not only sales success, but profitability success. And I think by focusing on profitability and being very transparent around that, then everybody's moving toward every project really does need to be profitable at a certain level in order for us to achieve those goals. And I think all that kind of pulls people together toward the right metrics, even though sometimes they're really difficult to put out there. I love having these conversations because when people are trying to shift towards this approach, they're thinking, how do I track this? Because I'm used to seeing numbers and dollars, and that's something that I can easily record. Whereas marketing and training and project management are kind of these, they're more abstract. They don't have dollar figures attached to them. And I love hearing your explanation because what you're suggesting to me, and certainly my experience too, is that there is no science behind this. It's kind of a what feels right and when you put all these things together, how does that eventuate? What does it look like? And how does it work? One of the things you touched on, and one of the main reasons why I was interested in speaking to you is because the way your business operates with your clients is that you become, and these are your words, an extension of their management team. So how does that work? And how is that different from a traditional lawyer-client relationship? So it's really fun. It's actually (laughs) so engaging to be involved with our clients in almost a day-to-day fashion. When you think of a general counsel in a, in a larger company, that person is the person or group of people who are sitting down the hall and everyone in the company leverages them to evaluate risk, to gut check a contract or a decision. Can I run this by you? So a company, if they're paying them a salary, is going to put as much as they can in front of them. Yes. And they're going to leverage that resource, not only as a transactional resource, but also as a planning and risk management resource. So that's what we're trying to build for a smaller company. So it's more um, of a fractional general counsel, the same way you might have a part-time CFO or a part-time marketing executive or IT. It's very similar to that. The way we build the model, though, is, is really trying to pull people away from thinking about it in hours and rather thinking about it as value. The goal is to have various folks on the client team have the authority to call us without concern about cost. And so it's built as a fixed monthly fee for the company. And we try to not only talk to the executive or the owner, but encourage the HR manager to call, encourage the account manager to call so that we're dealing with their contracts and helping the account management team to understand what their standard contract says and what is an acceptable modification. And with the HR team, it's might be a upcoming change in the law that needs to be incorporated into their policies or their handbook, or it might be an employee that's come in and made some some assertion about a problem within the work environment. But giving those folks the ability to call first helps them to learn 
and become stronger resources for the company. And two, it reduces the number of fires that show up on the CEO's desk. And so by being that resource that everyone can come to for assistance is just one more tool in their group of advisors. Taking this approach and along with your solutions focus, which I'm going to touch on in a second, it means you have to have a really deep understanding about the business and not just in terms of the objectives of perhaps the matter that they're calling you about, but a much broader view in terms of what the business's goals are and what's important to them. And like you mentioned, their risk appetite. How do you do that when you've got, you're effectively an in-house lawyer for lots of different firms? So how do you get that depth of knowledge and understanding for lots of different businesses? So there are a couple of ways. One is the regularity of the conversations. When a client is talking with you once a year and has a question, you really only have the context of that one transaction. And you don't know what happened between last year and this year. And you don't know even if something happened between the two that actually is conflicting. When you have the regularity of, of the relationship, a monthly, a monthly standing meeting, for example, and then ongoing conversations in between, that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is a proactive approach to what's coming down the pipe, what are you doing next? Really being inquisitive and curious and asking what their priorities are. More than anything, I think that is the engaging part with the executive team is looking at us as a strategic advisor, not simply a transactional relationship. And that is a huge shift that actually requires a fair amount of education in getting folks to understand why they should be spending more on this than they would otherwise Mm. in their legal relationships, because they're getting more than a lawyer component, someone who really does understand that this is not simply a risk transaction. This is a financial transaction. This is an emotional transaction. This is a very personal transaction in many ways when when you're talking about closely held businesses. Now, this is a really interesting approach that you take and you describe it as being a solution provider as well as a risk counselor. And this is a very much a new law approach where you're focusing on providing services that are fit for purpose or fit for standard and commercially relevant as opposed to just providing or as opposed to providing the services that dot all the I's and cross all the T's and cover every possible risk scenario that a lawyer could come up with. What does that look like in practice? So when we think about solutions, you kind of have to go back to what does the client need? And our business clients have opportunities and they have challenges. And more often than not, they are business-focused opportunities and challenges. They are not legal issues. They do come up with legal issues frequently. But much of the time, it's really around how do I expand the business? How do I think about this relationship with a vendor, a partner, a salesperson? And so looking at what their needs are and crafting the value-added approach to solve that is more than I can write up a document for you. It is how do I help you think about the options? And going back to your prior question around understanding their business, the more we know about how they think and how they operate in their risk appetite, the more quickly we are able to say, these solutions make sense for you and these solutions probably don't, um, just based on that knowledge and that relationship. So from a solution standpoint, it really is around thinking about value. What do they need? 
And oftentimes what they think they need isn't what they actually need. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> and being able to, you know, come up with different ways to work together that is not the TikTok of the billable hour is really appealing. So when you're operating on a monthly retainer and you've got a fixed fee, how do you deal with the concern that clients might just want to call you all the time or they might be demanding lots of your time and resources? Well, my first response is they have much better things to do than to call me. (laughs) (laughs) And they do. I mean, honestly, you know, the lawyer is not the top of the list of people they want to spend a couple hours on the phone with. But more than anything, it's the project management piece we've talked about, which is understanding what the anticipated or budgeted time is for that project or that relationship and looking at that regularly enough to recalibrate if you need to. Mm -hmm. So for instance, we might have three different attorneys working on different client matters within one retainer or fixed fee structure. And we're looking at that, let's say weekly, but if a lot of activity happens in the prior week, we might find that we're halfway through the month, but 75% of the budget. And so that's really been a a significant learning process for us internally to be able to say, okay, how do we manage that both amongst ourselves, but as well as with the client? And I think the transparency and the conversations with the client are a really important part of that. The general counsel package is, is built on more than just a one month fee. It's built over a longer period of time. And therefore we expect the ebb and flow of time. It will even out. But again, We expect that, but we also have to manage it. And if we don't manage it, it it may consistently be higher. And then we need some, some mechanism to say, Hey guys, you know, how do we, how do we shift projects in order to balance this out? And our clients are are very, um, they, they want this to be successful as well. And so they understand that there are, that there are balances there that need to be had. So do you have a scope within this monthly retainer that says, these are the kinds of things that will be included in this. And these are the kinds of things that won't. So the way that we tailor it to the client is we have a specific set of projects that are defined, mm-hmm. things that they know they want tackled during that period. Okay. And then we have a buffer, I would say. Yeah. So that space for the call from the HR person or the call from the account manager or the call from the executive, it's built around um, a monthly meeting, specific projects, and then day-to-day needs that may arise in between. And so we budget it based on that. And hopefully the assumptions around what those needs are, are clear. And and we try to have that conversation and say, if the assumptions are not correct, and we find that they're just, we missed it, then let's have a conversation about what needs to shift. And again, everyone wants it to be successful. I hear so much from you and everything we've spoken about being proactive and that it's the whole part of your approach, but it, it comes through in the way you're managing your staff, the way you're engaging with your clients, the way that you're setting these scopes and retainers. Do you find your clients like this? Clients who use our general counsel services, really, you hear peace of mind, you know, we have someone to keep us in check and that's very valuable. What we find challenging is educating new people on it because it is such a shift and it's something that they don't recognize unless you're bringing forward another industry that's doing something similar. Yeah. Um, and because we're not tying it to a bucket of hours, it's even, I think, more difficult because really it's, you know, it's as though it's a salary that you're paying um, for that period and you have, you have that access. So how do you convince them? Our target customer is a CEO or an owner that has a desire to build a strong business. Yeah. So I think 
the folks who really are trying to accomplish that understand it. And funny enough, about half of our general counsel clients um, are recovering attorneys. And so... <laughs> Or folks who have, who have actively used attorneys in the past. And so they have the experience of being able to, com- to compare yeah, okay. with what they were getting somewhere else. And I think, fortunately, I suppose that is our target. They understand it because they can compare it to something else. It is a much more difficult or steeper learning curve for folks who haven't historically used lawyers proactively because they try to look at, well, here's what I spent last year. Well, this is a very different thing than what you spent last year. A concern that a lot of lawyers have on this business focus or solutions focus, and ironically, it's about risk, is that by not advising our clients on all the risks that they might encounter as part of this business transaction, we're increasing our risk. Because if we don't tell them about scenario A and that eventuates, well, then they're going to come and sue us or whatever it might be because we haven't advised them. How do you deal with that? You know, I wouldn't say that we necessarily don't present option A. I think during the conversation with the clients, we go down a path of what does this relationship mean to you? What is the size of it? What is the risk of it? What are you afraid of? What is the opportunity? And I think through that conversation, you start to narrow that down. The more often you're talking to that client, the more you know those answers before you have to ask them. So even with a contract review, for instance, you're still going to say, Section eight, you should look at based on what I know about your standard contract. It's probably fine, but take a look at it and make sure you're good with that. And so you start to get, I think, an understanding of the working relationship as well, because you are working together all the time. And that I think is a big difference versus a client where you don't work with all the time and you really want to make sure you dot those I's and cross those T's because you don't know in this particular instance, their risk appetite might be very different than the prior time you worked with them because of the nature of that transaction. So having that deep relationship enables you to say, well, flag something. So say, oh, this is a potential issue, but given your focus or given what you're trying to achieve, I think you should focus your attention here. Correct. Yeah. Now you didn't start out this way and you mentioned before that your firm has evolved and rebranded along the way. And I understand that's largely been a response to the feedback that you've received from your clients and how their needs and wants have changed and how you've understood their needs and wants to change after having a deeper understanding of their businesses. Now, in preparing for this interview, you said to me that your business is focused around the client's perspective and the client's experience, which is wonderful. But a lot of businesses don't do such a great job of even asking for feedback, let alone then responding to it. So how did you go about that? And how, how did that client feedback influence the way that your firm has grown? You know, it was probably a little more organic than it was intentional. So as we grew, our clients became more sophisticated and had higher needs. And of course, the volume grew and the number of resources that we had grew. And so as we built infrastructure, we tried to be very intentional about how does that feel to the client? So for instance, uh, using a virtual receptionist versus someone sitting at the front desk. I think many firms would have the experience that we don't have that many people who come in unannounced. We have you know, some people who come in for physical meetings, but so much of our business is done via the web or via the phone, via email, that you know, is it necessary to have someone sitting there? Maybe not, but is it really nice to have it when people walk in? And how important mm. is that? Another example is invoicing. You know, a lot of firms use invoices that detail out every point one that 
the attorneys and the staff have worked and you end up with a four page invoice that shows every point one and point two and point six and point five. As a client, that would make me aggravated. And so we roll it up so that it's a couple of line items. And if someone wants the detail, they can see the detail, but it's a one page invoice, not a four page invoice. And to me, I think it matters. And so as we hear things from clients, we incorporate them, but I think a lot of it is the team's focus on that client experience from start to finish. So it, it is more organic than it is intentional, which may not be a good thing. We probably should do more intentional. Oh, I don't know. I think doing something is better than doing nothing. What advice can you give to other lawyers who are listening here and who want to shake things up and maybe do law a little bit differently or maybe adopt some of the practices that you've got going on in your firm? I think it's really understanding the engine of your business. So what are the drivers of profitability and success within your area of practice? So what can you do to understand what the client needs? Is there a way to package that in a unique way that really does satisfy those needs in a different way than what the traditional firms have done? But with all of that, can you do it profitably? Because I think that we can sometimes get caught up in the excitement of the innovation and not realize kind of what the, the repercussions are. I think that works also with incentive programs for staff. We want to drive behaviors to bring forward this new program. And maybe we're offering bonuses or we're offering commissions or we're offering something along those lines. Well, at the end of the day, you know, can we afford to do that? And so being, I think, really thoughtful around the performance metrics and what truly drives profitability in your in your practice area is probably the most critical pieces to success. And, and unfortunately, most of us don't learn that in law school. <laughs> where did you learn this? I know you've got a business background, but where did you learn the business approach and how is it that you've come to this point where you are truly adopting this business approach to your firm? You know, I, I do have a business background. I have an undergrad in finance. I have an MBA, but I would say the coaching environments that I have been in over the years of owning my business have been the most valuable. So I've been in CEO type groups. I've had individual one-on-one -on -one coaching and I'm involved right now in a group called Entrepreneur Organization, which is a, a global organization for entrepreneurs. And I think those types of environments really open your eyes to the tools that other people use that are not, this is how law firms do it. So the people within those groups are not just lawyers. Typically not lawyers. Yeah. I'm intentionally looking for that because for me, that's where I find the most valuable tool sets. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot we can learn from looking at how other professions operate and how people run businesses that aren't law firms and what they're doing well and what we can take and learn from them. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you joining in and sharing your journey. Yeah, it's been enjoyable. Thank you so much. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible. So do send them over. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au.